I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design with a very special guest, a returning guest who happens to be an icon in the field of interior design. This is Martin Lawrence Ballard. Martin and I first spoke in 2019. We spoke at his showroom in the West Hollywood Design District, and we spoke about set design of which Martin and I are both very fond. We, we talked about Tony Duquette. Again, both are very fond. And how the art of stagecraft allows Martin to transcend the design with ideas and strategies for feel and emotional spaces. Use of non-traditional materials in unusual ways to create new objects. That is quintessential set decoration, masterfully employed in this episode Martin and I have more time to really explore these ideas, the history, and the experience behind his work. And I, I just want to make a note, one of these ideas about stagecraft, Martin is a trained actor. He is a producer. He understands the stories. And as someone who has been in the business, has been around the art department and has been around set decorators, and for someone to so intuitively understand how what art departments do, what set decorators do in the art that they create for the stage, for the scene, for the script, it's exceptional. And because he understands the story, he understands the emotion. Once you understand those things, you, you can craft anything out of any kind of material. And if you're talented, as Martin is, you can... Add it to design that really transcends what what is available elsewhere, and that's one of the one of the true superpowers of of this particular remarkable designer. We recorded this conversation live from the brand new Soho home, the studio on Melrose Boulevard in West Hollywood. They're actually Martin's showroom neighbor uh, in an iconic space, serving formerly as the Rose Tarlow showroom. It's amazing. The lighting was amazing. The space was amazing. It, it, it's hard for me to describe, but the setting just enhanced our chat. And uh, I'm so thankful that they served as the, as the set for this conversation, as well as the fact that they hosted the Convo by Design 10th anniversary party, which was, it was really special. And I'm, I'm very, very appreciative. So anyway, it is just, it's an exquisite space that made for the perfect setting for our chat. Enjoy this edition of The Showroom, a one-on-one -on -one with Martin Lawrence Ballard. And we'll get to that right after this. I am incredibly proud of Convo by Design in year 10, and I'm equally proud of my partnership with Thermosol. They've been presenting partners of Convo by Design for three years now, and there is a certain amount of pride that comes with saying that the show is presented by the company that is the best in the world at what they do. Thermosol engineers the most exceptional smart shower products and steam shower systems worldwide for a few reasons. They were the first company to design patent the technology here in the U.S. dating back to 1958. Thermosol, a U.S. brand, a U.S. manufacturer in Round Rock, Texas, employs an engineering team that designs, tests, and continuously refines the product. Their quality control team tests every single steam generator before it departs the factory. Who else does that? Nobody. I have had the pleasure of working with some world-class designers and architects who tell me 
And you probably know this, that the idea of luxury has changed and continues to change, especially when clients want a spa-like bathroom. Steam is mandatory. Or it's just not considered a, a, a luxury space. And if you want to add steam, you have one true option. It's Thermosol. And now, Thermosol, the industry leader in steam, bath equipment, and technology since 1958, is enhancing their already stellar family of products with new indoor and outdoor luxury saunas. Available in three design configurations, each sauna is handcrafted from clear western red cedar or Nordic spruce inspired by the brilliance of Northern European sauna technology and design. A luxury bathroom isn't luxury without steam. If you want luxury, you have one option. It's Thermosol. Check them out at thermosol.com and at thermosol on the socials. It's funny too, because I do love that, that idea of, so what are we talking about? And it's like, you know what, Martin? Um, I, I have been so excited to get back together with you and, and talk to you the last time that you and I spoke. A few things have happened since then. The last time you and I spoke was 2019. Which is absolutely insane. Isn't that bananas? How is it 2019? I don't even know where that time has gone. I know. It's, it's really weird. And, I, and I've seen a bunch of people this week, and it's like, when was the last time I saw you? Oh, it's been like three years since we've seen each other in person. It just, you time know, is a construct that I don't COVID understand. COVID sort of confused all of us. Yeah. You know, those, those two years of being at home or whatever was going on, I just, it's a blur now. It's a blur. Yeah, but it's interesting because I was remembering our conversation that we had. We're right next door to your gorgeous showroom on Melrose. And the last conversation we had, you had decorated your window for Legends. Oh, okay. And the theme that year was Icons. And you selected Tony Duquette. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's right. Yes. And one of the things that has still stuck with me all these years later is you created a chandelier with a baluster for the center of the chandelier. And you crafted it for, for that particular window. That's right, and, yeah. And you were explaining to me the idea of how Duquette as set decorator informed Duquette as designer. Totally. And one of the things that I love about you, that I love about your work, is there is, there is show business, there is glamour, there is, there is style, there is story in everything that you do. And that's one of the things that, that has stuck with me, that baluster, that chandelier with a baluster, because it, it, looked, it looked ornate, it looked expensive, it looked amazing. Tell me about the background in show business, your background in show business, because it's deep and it's rich, and I imagine that it informs what you do every day. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think, well, first and foremost, the Duquette thing and that chandelier was an ode to him because he was a major glue gunner, meaning he would find, you know, any old thing that he loved the look of, and then he'd sort of glue it to a bunch of other things he loved the look of and somehow make these extraordinary creations. You know, and that is creativity at, at its best. I mean, I love that about, about Duquette and, and, you know, the, the lineage he left us of that. But of course, that was also sort of the way sets are made. Um, and, you know, we can walk into these extraordinary looking rooms but they're actually a set, which means it's all made out of cardboard. And once the cameras are off, the whole thing comes down. So it's amazing. I love set design. And I feel like one of the things for me 
having been a trained actor originally, going towards your question, um, I fell in love with the idea of acting because I loved the sets, the costumes, the lighting, the glamour. It was more about that than the acting, honestly. Um, which is why I guess the acting failed and I've ended up being an interior designer. <laughs> well, it's funny. I wouldn't say it failed. I think, I, honestly, I think that there is a great deal of, of, of acting. You know, it's funny because some people think that when a designer such as you achieves the status and stature that you have, that you don't have to sell your ideas anymore. And I don't think that that's necessarily true. Sometimes, do you find yourself having to push your ideas through? Yes. Yes. I mean, just because you're well-known doesn't mean that everyone's just going to bow and scrape and agree to painting their bathroom, you know, fluorescent orange. No. You, what we do is we help people make their dreams come true. We create fantasy, going back to the acting we create fantasy we create we create magic for people but fantasies have to start in your own head and so everybody's got an idea really of the way they want to live how they want to feel what they want to be surrounded with and so you know i like my interior design jobs to be hand in hand with the client to be a partnership so I want to get to know them. I want to understand what they want, what they love, what they need, what they think they want. And then I give them a little bit of what I want mixed with what they want, which ends up being, they think, what they always wanted in the first place. <laughs> that was, that's like a mathematical equation. Like That is so, so difficult to try to factor in. But, but it's, it's interesting, too, because as, as we factor that in, so things that, that have changed since you and I spoke as well, this isn't it extraordinary that something happened that affected everybody not just the rich not just the poor not just you know LA New York Japan China affected everybody so we created a situation where sometimes if you can't get something one place you go and get it someplace else sometimes if you can't live where you're living you go travel but you can't do that too so we found ourselves, and I, I am in awe of what the design community ha did during the pandemic. I think it was extraordinary. I think what people like you... It was no easy feat. Right? Yeah. It's still not. We're still recovering, you know, from, from the backlog. I literally have... It just cleared customs. I have a container that I bought two years ago in, in Marrakesh that is only just clearing customs now. It's insane. The, the, you know, the, the great thing that happened during COVID is that, you know, people got to stay home. They got to feel their homes because so many times, you know, you end up getting up early, going to work all day, coming home exhausted, eating your takeout and watching the TV. Whereas people got to really be in their homes, experience their homes, experience the light at different times of the day, feel how they wanted to use the rooms, many times discovering that they didn't like the room that they were in using for that purpose and wanted to repurpose it. And so it's given a lot of fresh uh, imagination to people's spaces and new requirements. And so that was something that's been really interesting to, to dissect and work out in 
the moving forward in life from now on. I, I don't think it'll ever be the same, actually. I think everything's really changed, and I think the way people want to use their spaces and experience their, their home lives has changed. And, I mean, obviously, we're sitting in Soho Home right now. This is a prime example of a, of a company that sort of sprouted from, from the ashes of, uh, of, of COVID times in the fact that they are a stock company where people come in, they buy a designer-looking product that they can take home with them. Because now people don't want to wait. They want instant gratification, or as I like to say, they want instant joy. They want joy, they want things that spark happiness in their lives, and they want them now. And, okay, so let's, let's talk about that and how, <clears throat> excuse me, those challenges affected the work that you were doing. You know, it's funny, I think, I think that there are people out there who thought, well, certainly Martin Lawrence Ballard was able to get things, even though, that, even though my designer couldn't. It's not necessarily about pull. It's just, if you can't get it, you can't get it. If it, if it takes two years to clear customs, it takes two years to clear oh, customs. Yeah, yeah. There, was, there, there was no pulling, you know, the strings. If, if, even if it was, you know, it was a dining table for share, they couldn't give a damn. It's still sitting in, you know, Indonesia being lacquered nine months later. How did that change you as, as a designer? What did... What effect did that have? And I imagine, too, I'm kind of like leaning back and thinking... You know, with your with your show business background, with that whole Tony Duquette idea of you know glue gunning, let's you know let's figure out if we can't have this, let's figure out how to make what's close or what will last until we get what we want. Yeah, you know, one of the things that we did during the pandemic and are still doing now is we sourced local. So rather than ordering all those things from Italy and, you know, sort of fabulous French-like fixtures and stuff that were taking months and months to make and get delivered, we totally just changed the way we did it and started to um, uh, use local vendors to create things that maybe are not the same but similar or even a brand new design we would introduce. I went back to several people with their signed-off design and said, look, I can't get this. How about this? How about we change this look? And people went for it. So, so a lot of it's become American-made product. A lot of things are Los Angelian-made product that we can get our hands on fast. Um, and we can oversee the vendors and the artisans making it. And that's really become part of our everyday life now. It's very much we are making things rather than ordering things. Because we can control it, we can get it faster, and we can, you know guarantee the quality are you are you able to find that same level of craftsmanship that you was that a problem you know like in certain areas it's it's funny so um during the pandemic we moved to tulsa where we're working on a design house and and for those who have never been to tulsa some of the uh architecture there from you know the 1920s just the art deco is just extraordinary wow and i was giving i was being given a tour and they they explained to me the docent was explaining like they they had to go and train people to paint so that they could get it back to what it was supposed to look like they had to train people to weld in a certain style and tile in a certain style and they had to can can you find are the trades coming back you know there was a time where if you wanted something you had to go outside of 
Los Angeles. You know, LA is a very special place because we have many extraordinary artisans here. You know, there's a big Latin community. There's a lot of um, a lot of Mexican community that are all artisans, that, and some of them are still artisans that have learned it from their grandfather and their father, and it's been passed down, which is kind of, you know, we've lost it in so many other communities, but there there's still a real strength and pride. And so these wonderful artisans have been producing beautiful things. Um, and they're here in L.A. It's wild. I mean, you have to look for it a little bit, but we do have incredible artists. I've got friends from New York and uh, Chicago and Palm Beach in Florida that are all asking me to help them find the artisans to make the stuff coming out of L.A. because they know the quality's good, because they know these people have real backgrounds. And it's a little bit like in France and Italy where it's generational, and they're, and they're training, you know, father-son situations. So we do have that here. It is amazing. Now, maybe not everything, you know, maybe we don't have extraordinary Chinese lacquerists or, or, or you know, some of the amazing skills that you find in the, in the fine uh, couture furniture houses that are in, based in and around Paris. But we've got good enough and sometimes far better than good enough, sometimes superior work here we're very lucky did you draw on that so last time you and I spoke and I I don't remember the timeline but I want to say that you had said something about wanting to do another hotel but you would love if you could do anything it would be local and you know like to West Hollywood and then since then prospect yeah, that's right. Yeah, we did the Prospect Hotel in Hollywood. You're a, yes. you're a manifester. You, you, you yeah. decided... And, you... The, and the Four Seasons residences here too as well, which not really a hotel, but it's a residential project. But that was really fun as well. The Prospect was amazing. Yes, that came out of the blue. It's an incredible building off of uh, Hollywood Boulevard. Called the Prospect because Hollywood Boulevard used to be called Prospect Way. And the hotel used to be an apartment building where many of the sort of silent and then early 20th century movie stars lived. And so people like Greta Garbo lived there and, uh, um, you know, some amazing actors from the, from the 20s and 30s. So the hotel, I gave the hotel a design nod that referenced those people that had been there. So for Greta Garbo, there's a Matahari suite, which was one of her most famous movies, that's decorated in this kind of chinoiserie on acid sort of vibe. But it's great fun. Um, it's a little hotel, but people love it, which is so fun. Um, you know, I did all the rooms in different themes and different vibes. And... Um, yeah, I, I even went there and had a staycation. It was great. Did you? <laughs> yes. You are listening to my conversation with the incomparable Martin Lawrence Bullard. We'll be right back with more right after this. We are living at a time of incredible growth, both technologically and creatively, with respect to interior design, exterior design, and architecture. There is no question. There are companies thinking differently about the business of design and how to make products super serve those for whom they're being made. One of those companies, and one of my favorites, is Moya Living, designer and fabricators of some of the most stunningly beautiful, incredibly durable, and highly functional kitchen, bath, and outdoor kitchen cabinetry on the market today. 
powder-coated steel with stunning lines, vibrant colors, to fit any design style or aesthetic. A history of designing cabinetry for the scientific community. So you know it's been tested in some of the truly the most harsh conditions available. Moya O'Neill is the CEO and founder of Moya Living. She's the inspiration behind the design. Designers, their specification process is so simple. It will make your job so much easier. Check them out online through the socials at Moya Living, their website, moyaliving.com, and in the real world, their live kitchen showroom in Fountain Valley, California. The Institute of Classical Architecture and Art Southern California chapter is a forum for professionals in the industry and enthusiasts to come together, share their love, and show their commitment to the timeless principles of beauty, proportion, and observation that are embodied in classicism. Their members include renowned architects, designers, landscape architects, builders, students, artists, and creatives from every walk of life. It's a wonderful organization designed to celebrate the unique regional identity of Southern California and help develop the careers of the like-minded. If you're interested in joining or would like to learn more about sponsorship and support for the ICAA Southern California chapter, please email me, convobydesign at outlook.com. When, when you do a hotel, do you, do you sort of draw, draw back to that set decorator mentality because you know one of the things i love and i think we talked about this is the idea of set decorators like it's a special thing they're not designing for a person they're designing for a page which means that in your mind you're crafting the client you know the writer they didn't they didn't craft the people they crafted the story the director the actors they're looking to you you know if you're a set decorator to define what that space looks like when you do a hotel you know hospitality is that you're trying to create a certain experience. It's almost like you're creating a show around the people that you expect would go and enjoy your work. Yeah, except, you know, a hotel is a stage that the guests need to be the stars of. So you have to create a backdrop that people find fantastical, that they find amusing, that they find sexy, but they also find themselves starring in it. And that is why creating a hotel is like producing a movie. It really is. And you, you, have, the, you have the experience as a producer. I imagine it's, it's is, it that, is it that laborious? Uh, you know, everything can be laborious uh, uh, at times, but it's really much more fun. I mean, I love doing hotels because you do get to create this sort of fantasy. Like, the, like in the prospect, the Matahari suite, you know, I had so much fun thinking about, you know, that movie where Greta Garbo, who was this sort of exotic beauty, um, was creating this this character of a spy, this gorgeous sort of wild-looking spy, and where would she have slept, and what was this room, this sort of chinoiserie experience of the whole Matahari outfits that she, these great Adrian design outfits that she wore in the movie. So we did research for all of these rooms and created all these elements in my own sort of mad vision of them. And so, yes, it is a real production, but it was great fun. It was great fun to do it. When you, when you design, do you ever put in any Easter eggs? Do you put in any, any things in the work that 
are not really intended for anyone else, but just so that you know Easter it's eggs. There. Yeah. I've, I've put a Fabergé egg in one of my projects. <laughs> I'm not sure about Easter eggs. <laughs> do, you ever, do you ever hide anything in the design just that you know it's there? Oh, my God, yes. I mean, that's the fun thing that you can do. When you, I have a lot of uh, clients that I've done three or four different projects for along the way, long-term clients and people that you get to really know. And so when you do that, you want to do something that's special and unexpected for them in each new project. So there's always a, another exciting element in it. Lately, we've taken to doing um, embroidering sayings or their favorite poems or some sort of wonderful love token that they've shared between themselves and their partner into upholstery, like hidden on the back of a pillow or sometimes I have things engraved on the cutlery that we deliver. Just these little moments that make things very, very personal and they don't really expect to see it. And it's, you know, it's something it doesn't really cost anything to do it. It's just sort of mentally you have to get yourself into the vibe to find out what you think is going to be the right thing. But yes, those are very fun little little moments that you can do. It's hard with a first-time client because you don't necessarily know everything about them. But once you get to know people, you really want to come up with something that's, that's a special surprise for them. Post-pandemic, where was the first place you went? Well, I was actually going places during pandemic because even though my offices were closed and everybody was working from home, um, I was lucky enough to have clients that had helicopters and private planes and things. And so they were picking me up and I was going to job site meetings, you know, like wrapped in plastic head to toe kind of a thing. But um, so I was bobbing around a little bit. But first big visit uh, was Paris, actually. Um, yeah, because I had several product launches and I had to go and check on, on, on stuff. And so really Paris was the first big trip. I did fly to London twice during COVID for, for a couple of different reasons. Um, I mean, honestly, I miss Europe so much because of the inspiration it always gives me. And I need that injection. And for almost two years not to be in Europe was crazy because I'm usually, I'm usually in Europe eight times a year. So, yeah, I missed that. So when you went back after two years, did it change? Yeah, well, definitely. For you, what... Definitely. You, know, what you, know, you know, the scariest part of the change was that shops that you've loved and used for years were gone. And vendors, you know, because I love to go shop all those flea markets and things. And there were people that had either retired. There were some people that died of COVID, which was horrendous to find out. Yeah, I mean, it was quite shocking. Even sort of going to New York, New York was quite decimated. I mean, there are a bunch of a bunch of the dealers and the vintage stores and things are just gone. They haven't reopened. So yeah, the, the landscape is different. It really is. And and how do how do you how do you cope with with those changes? How do you you know professionally? We we all get into certain routines and rhythms and things that we do, and then when something is is dramatic in how it changes everything, it kind of reorganizes the way we think about what it is that we're doing. We have to rethink about the business. We have to yeah. rethink how we want to do what we do. How did it change the way you think about what you do and how you do it? 
you know, it made us actually is interesting because you know change does make you uh, have to go out and work a little harder. <laughs> you know, because I'm so used to using my old favourites. Um, and remember, I started out my career in the flea markets in London at 12. And I had people that I'd still been working with for 30 years, 40 years actually, that I'd known for all those years that are now gone. And so you have to work a little harder to find replacements to build those new relationships and to build the trust. Because a lot of what we do, particularly when you're buying vintage and you're buying it maybe from photographs, is about trusting the person that's selling it to you to make sure you're getting something that's good that your clients are going to enjoy. So there's been a real uh, change in that and we've had to definitely discover new people and work a little harder and make our network bigger, make our net bigger, really. Let's talk about partnerships for a minute, collaborations. You do a masterful job just absolutely extraordinary with regard with regard to your collaborations and partnerships and and some of the things that you do is i find that all of the collaborations that you do they are all in line with your brand they are all on point the partners you work with are all on point they're co- they're cohesive and consistent with who your brand is what is that what is that process like for you how do you how do you vet potential partners how do you work with new partners on on the lines that you want to collect and what what or the collections that you want to be a part of and what is that process like for you and your studio you know my whole life i have 17 licenses currently and my whole licensing ethos was really about when it first started when it first kicked off when i sort of became well known and people wanted to partner in with me I decided I wanted to start at the very top because if you start at the top, it's easy to come down and start to create your pyramid effect. But if you start at the bottom, it's very hard to get up. So I started with those sort of iconic companies like doing silver for Christoffel and doing porcelain for Havan Limoges and crystal for Dome and, you know, legendary companies. And amazing things happen. Like now my name sits on lists next to... Jean Cocteau and Picasso. I mean, it's insane. I can't even believe it. It's ridiculous. I shouldn't be there. But, you know, that has happened. And so it's an amazing thing. And then I thought, you know, I need to start to, you know, allow the design community a little bit more interest. And so that's when I started to do things with companies like Schumacher, uh, my own fabric line, Cole and Son with wallpaper, perennials with outdoor fabric. So lots of things I created that were really for... Uh, the design industry, which has been amazing because you get to see what other designers do with your designs, making them their own. It's super inspirational. And and now I've really started to do things that are more open to the public. So I have a line with a shade store. I have a line with Du Chateau of wood flooring, um, my Ansacks tile lines. All these things are more available to the general public. And that's also been incredible. But... I make sure that all the companies I work with are top of the line. At whatever price point they're in, they're top of the line. They're top-notch quality. They're tried and trusted. They're proven. Because I don't want to put my name out there on something that ends up being horrible quality or people order it and it falls apart. So you want to make sure that your name is aligned with something great. And if you've got 
the quality there and you give them good design, you're going to end up with great things. Something that you said sort of as you led into that was there you are, your name is being associated with Picasso and you don't feel like, you know, it, it should be. I have often felt that design is is akin to the arts. I feel like design is, is very similar to jazz. I feel like design can be very similar to the fine arts. But designers have never really gotten that that kind of credit associated with the, the work that they do. And I think that maybe it's because the majority of the work is residential and the, the really some of the really spectacular stuff people never never really see. Yes. But when when did you know that you had made it? When did you, when did you feel like I'm not faking this till I make it? I've made it. I have I have arrived and I I know what I'm doing and I'm comfortable and whether other people believe it or not, when did when did you know that you made it? I think you know you know my first ever real job, design job was with Cheryl Teagues with the iconic supermodel. And you know, I didn't know what I was doing back then. It was a unbelievable job that I fell into. Um, and it was a Balinese sort of villa in the hills of Bel Air, and at which point neither Cheryl nor I had been to Bali, so it was a complete fantasy that we created. Um, but, you know, when that job was finished, within nine months, we were on six magazine covers around the world. And that was an unbelievable thing to happen for, like, a brand-new designer in their, in their like, mid-twenties for that to suddenly happen. And that's when I thought, my God, people like what I do. It's and it's just incredible. But you know, it takes a little while for you still to get the confidence moving forward. And you know, for a minute there, I thought, oh my God, am I a one-trick wonder? Was this like a fluke? Um, but within probably two years of that, you know, I suddenly, immediately from her, got all of these other extraordinary jobs that happened. And once the press starts to happen around it then you realize that, you know what, this really is a career. So I think that I've been so very lucky that, that I've had clients that have always allowed me to publish things and that I've had all these amazing editors that have been incredibly loyal and published things for me constantly. People like um, the wonderful Margaret Russell who was with El Decor and then, and then uh, Architectural Digest and... Throughout her career and throughout my career, which this September is my 30-year anniversary of being a designer, um, she published me at least once every year of that career span of herself in those magazines. And the same with, with many of the other editors. And, and today, you know, I have wonderful relationships with everybody. And Amy Astley from Architectural Digest, who's just an unbelievably wonderful lady, has been so supportive of everything and uh, in fact I have a cover coming out next week that it's going to be very fun that you're all going to love I'm very proud of so um, yeah it's been amazing the acceptance of the press and then all of the acceptance of the public that comes with that is definitely the seal of approval that, that, that you know lets you feel good well I think what's interesting too and the the longevity of your career um, and the fact that, you know, one of the things I, I love about you and your career and what you do is you don't, you don't rest on your laurels. You know, you have not, I don't, 
I don't think, you know, I'm not inside your head, but I, I get the feeling like you're you... You're very lucky you're not inside <laughs> my head. <laughs> but I get the feeling like you don't get satisfied with the work. The work is a, is a, each project is a, is a, is it a means to an end? Because it's not an end all be all. Uh, well, first of all, I am not like a lot of designers where they have one look. I love so many different things. I don't know if that's about being British and having come from a country where they had a lot of, lot of sort of empire at one point and there was all those influences that came into England and it's all a bit of a crazy cocktail. But I enjoy doing everything. So at the moment we have things from the most modern projects to the most traditional. I like the challenge. I love doing different things. I never want to be grouped into somebody thinking, oh, he just does Moroccan things or he just does traditional things or only does mid-century. I want to be able to do everything, hopefully do it well. And I want to be able to do jobs where we particularly residential, where you walk into it and you go, my God, I love your house. I don't want them to go in and say, oh, this is another Martin Lawrence Ballard house. I want people to come in and say, I love your house because it's shining with your personality. And that, to me, is the real success of an interior designer, if you can pull that off. And that's what keeps me going. That's the longevity, I think, of my career, is that I have been able to keep reinventing the looks for my clients to match who they are and keeping everybody on their toes and keeping my office on their toes and keeping us all excited. Um, there's nothing worse than just having a cookie cutter look that you just keep stamping out. I would hate that. You know, it's, it's interesting too at the same time, and I, and I, go, I go back to the comparison to, to music. You know, when you have a band that puts out a first record and it's a, just a smash, right? Well, the second record you know the 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 sophomore edition sometimes they try to get creative and do something different it just it just crashes and burns and sometimes to your point there is this there is this typecasting of certain design talent certain designers and it it works for them they get a look and then they just wash and repeat right but there's also sometimes a fear of like what if i if i change this or i change that will will it shock those who like the work that I do. Do you ever do you ever think about that? Then you're not a good designer. A good designer believes in themselves and everything that they do. You know what I mean? It's I think I think that if you think that you're only good at one look and that's all people are going to follow you for, then you're killing your own creativity. Because a creative should be a chameleon and can and can, you know, grow their butterfly wings and fly in every direction. There's also a lot of bravery that that has to that has to take part because listen with the advent of social media anyone with a computer can say ugly things and it never comes comes back to them right the amount of criticism I feel like prior never read your comments it, it really is <laughs> you don't you don't read you don't you actually, don't see? actually I do look at comments on Instagram because 99% of that is wonderful and you know my followers are just divine and and I love I, I, I love and enjoy it. But you know, when I first went on television, people said to me, don't read the fan mail, don't read the, you know. And I, and I get it because sometimes people can be really wicked. Yeah. But who cares? I'm not doing it for them. I'm doing it for me and for everybody else that enjoys it. So you're right. Bravery, 
believing in yourself, passion, and, you know, just unashamed bravado, I guess, is, is really the path that, that, that I travel anyway. What's, what's next? Wow, what is next? Well, I could list off the, the next round of jobs, but um, that's, you know, that's they're really fun, but that's not necessarily what's really next for me. What's really next for me is, you know, as we get older, you, you, you have different goals and different things that you want to do. And I also very much feel like design is something where we can give back to the world a little bit too, because design makes all the people feel good it changes the way that their day starts or ends and so I do want to start helping people in other ways using design and using the the, the, the talents and the things that I have um, learned to help people that are less fortunate than I am I mean I think that's really a wonderful thing to find ways to give back and um, yeah we've been sort of trying that along the way and I hope to do a bit more of that which is a good thing, but also on a on a, on another on a less heavy note, I want to do more things in more unusual places. I'm talking to somebody about designing an island in Fiji right now. You know, so there's things like that which I find to be wildly exciting because they're very difficult. It's very difficult to design on an island in the middle of nowhere that takes hours to fly to that you can't you know just have a sofa from so home ship there next week. So. I like those challenges. I think that stuff's really fun and really interesting. And we've got a bit more of that happening these days now that now we're out of the pandemic scenario. So that's good fun. Yeah, and if, it feels too like there's there are opportunities now that that may not have really existed in the past. I was I was I had done an interview once with um, a jazz musician who had passed away recently named Wayne Wayne Shorter, and he was telling me a story about a conversation he had with Miles Davis, and Miles because he played with him. And Miles said to him, do you ever want to play music that doesn't sound like music? And I thought, wow, that's, that's just an interesting thought coming from someone who is so highly accomplished. And I, I was trying to figure out what that means. And, and then it kind of dawned on me, like, that, that's how a creative that, that has hit their stride, that's how they continue to maintain that stride, is by doing things that are counter to what they've always done and to try to think differently about about what it is that they do, their art, their craft, their business. And part of that is always learning more about what you do and it's being able to continue to travel and continue to get the inspiration and continue to do what you do in different ways. And which is why I'm curious, A, what's next? And B, is there a project or a type of project that you that you have always wanted to do and maybe you haven't done it just because you've been too busy? Yes, um, but thinking out of the box is a very important thing. And my number one rule is that the day that we stop learning from one another and our surroundings and what we're doing is the day you die. And so people that close themselves off from learning new things is, 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 a, is, the, is suicide. So I always say to everybody that's around me, to any young students, to everybody, keep your eyes and ears open every second because you never know what's going to inspire you next. Whether it's a bowl of oranges or a cathedral in Rome or a bunch of a bunch of tar in the road there's something in everything that could inspire you that black tar in the road could be that beautiful perfect blue black that you decide you want to stain a table in so we never know you know what I mean um what would I really love I love historic 
buildings. I love historic restoration. I really enjoy getting stuck in on those projects. They're very rare. They don't usually happen here in America because we don't have that many historic buildings. And so I've been lucky enough to restore a 12th century castle in Italy, and I recently finished an 18th century uh, estate um, in Ireland where we scoured literally the world and all the auction houses to bring back 18th century Irish things to Ireland. And so it was an amazing project, a beautiful learning curve in every way from sitting there drinking whiskey with the Irish to, to, to you know, learning how to, how to navigate these crazy auction houses all over the world in Romania and mad places. But um, uh, it's... So, so I love doing more of those things. And one of my very, very first jobs way back 30 years ago was also I got pulled in when they were restoring the Pantages Theatre, which was an amazing thing to do. And I worked a little bit on that restoration, and it was fabulous fun. And so going back to the whole theatrical element, you know, there are all these incredible old movie theatres and movie houses that they're being slightly reworked these days into new private clubs and all sorts of things. Um, so that would be really fun to do something like that, to get stuck into one of those great, like, 20s, like the Egyptian in downtown LA, these great old movie theatres, and get in on the restoration and how to rebirth those amazing sort of behooth monsters that people don't really know what to do with anymore. But that would be so fun to do something like that. I, I love that, that we have, we have actually just come full circle. <laughs> and, and you're manifesting again on this one. And my, my hope is that you and I can connect again, uh, hopefully sooner than three or four years. And some of, some of that actually comes to pass because I would love that. I, w- I wish nothing but the best for you. Thank oh, you for thank doing this. You. Thank you so much. So lovely to see you. Thank you. Design Hardware's newly remodeled showroom is where you will find a gallery-style space with a thoughtful display of products purposefully positioned to allow unbridled exploration and discovery. High-end faucets, luxury tile, natural stone, wood floors, and bespoke hardware selections are presented in a holistic manner, strategically arranged to stimulate creativity and transition your vision from the conceptual stage to a fully realized space. Conveniently located, free parking available, stop by to find your inspiration, collect samples, get expert advice, and tackle everything on your shopping list all in one place. Visit them online at designhardware.com or in the real world, 6053 West 3rd Street in Los Angeles. Thank you, Martin, for your time. I love this. I really did. Thank you, Soho Home Studio, for hosting this conversation, as well as our 10th anniversary party. Thank you for listening, downloading, and subscribing to the show. If not already, please make sure you are subscribing to the show so you can find Convo by Design everywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Thank you to my wonderful partners and sponsors, Thermosol, Moy Living, and Design Hardware. Without you, I would not be able to do this. And for that, I thank you. Thanks again for listening. Be well. And until next week, take today first. Mm-hmm.